Good morning, Rivertree family. I'm Jay, one of the pastors here at Rivertree. Thank you for being here at Cove online and downtown as well. We thank you for joining us, worshiping with us this morning. If you're new here, we have been as a church working through the book of Matthew and we're in chapter 20. So we have been in it for a while and now we're kind of seeing this transition of Jesus kind of moving more and more towards the cross, towards this kind of ultimate sacrifice that he will make on the cross, the punishment he will endure for, all sin, for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. And we get excited about that as Christians. We get just, it's an incredible thing that God would come to earth and die for our sins. And so we're thankful that we get to see his life kind of laid out, played out in front of us so we can learn about who he is and how much he truly does love us. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter 20 today. So I'm gonna go ahead and read it. We're starting 20 in verse one and I'll be reading through verse 19. So let's read together. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on the one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they received one denarius. So when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's work and burning heat. He replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first last. While going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. The son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your good word. Lord, we are thankful for what we can learn um, about you, about ourselves, but ultimately um, just about um, really, Lord, the sacrifice that you made for us um, so that in your son, so that we could be reconciled to you, Lord. And I just pray today that we walk away from today's sermon um, just with a deeper understanding of what it means uh, to love you and be loved by you um, and what your gospel means for each and every one of us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So we read this kind of parable and we kind of quickly identify with it. We can see these guys starting at the end of the day and that's where we so often find ourselves. We say things like, I deserve a raise. I deserve a chance. I deserve what's mine. Shouldn't life be fair? Shouldn't I get what's coming to me? We think that we are this guy. No one ever reads this story and thinks like, oh, I'm the guy that started at the end of the day. We think I'm the guy that started at the beginning of the day. I'm the hard worker. I'm the one that got up early and I deserve what's right. I deserve what is fair. Does anybody identify with the other people? You're like the guy that gets up at the end of the day, works an hour? No, we say I'm the one who works 
hard. And we want to be treated fairly because of that, because we deserve something, or we think that we deserve something. But the reality is you do deserve something. It's just not what you think that it is. So we're going to go through this passage, but I want us to understand kind of the main idea, and that is this, that through Christ, we receive a wage we do not deserve, and he receives our just punishment. That through Christ, we receive a wage we do not deserve, and he receives our just punishment. That's what we're going to discover today. Now, as we kind of dive into this, it is important to kind of look back at last week, because it will help inform us of where we're heading today. So last week was about this guy named the rich young ruler. So the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, how do I inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, you do the things that I told you to do. And he's like, I've done all of those. And he's like, well, one thing you like is sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And the guy says, I, I don't know if I can do that. And it says he walks away sad. And then right after that, Jesus talks about how difficult it is for a rich man to become a Christian. And then Peter, being Peter or us, raises his hand and he says, but Lord, look what I've done. I've been with you since the beginning. Lord, I've been here. And Jesus says, Peter, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And let me illustrate that for you in this parable. You see, parables are not meant to be these like, perfect story, like these actual stories, these things that we look at and go, this is a real story. This really happened. They're meant to illustrate a point very similar to how we use stories today. We are illustrating something that's happening and that's what Jesus is doing. So as we get started though, I want to make sure that we all understand the different kind of players in this story. So who they are. So first we have the guys who showed up at the beginning of the day. And like I said, this is the ones that we so easily identify with. We find ourselves like, yes, I'm the hardest worker that's probably ever existed. I'm the best leader. I'm the best boss. If a position is open, I obviously deserve it because I'm better than everyone else. That's what we think about ourselves. And that's what Peter kind of thought about himself in 1927. He says, we have left everything to follow you. Look at us, Lord, and how great we are. And that's who we think that we are. We're this guy. But there's not the only ones in the story. There's also these other workers. And we're gonna, basically everybody that's hired throughout the rest of the day, we're gonna put them in one block and call them the other workers. And we look at them and we think, oh, we're definitely not them. And we make judgments about them because the landowner says, where were you at the beginning of the day? Like, why haven't you been here? And we're like, oh, they haven't been there because they're lazy. They didn't get up to work in the morning. They didn't do the things that they were supposed to do. They stayed out all night, partying, doing whatever. Stayed up way too late. That's why they're not there in the morning. And we make these statements about them. And we do that today. We judge people based on what we think. But what if these people showed up late because their wife was sick and they were taking care of her? What if something happened at their home and that's why they got to the market late? What if they had already worked one job and now they're showing up trying to get more work for their family? But we're quick to go like, oh, it's them, those workers. We're not them. We're this guy who showed up on time, not fully understanding what's actually happening in this person's life. And we should be careful doing such a thing. 
Now, what were these guys offered? So the first guy shows up, he was offered a denarius. Now a denarius is, you know, let's call it a dollar, whatever you want to call it. A denarius is though a fair day's wage for the time. So nobody in this story is getting ripped off. All of them are actually getting what they ultimately kind of should have gotten. So when this guy shows up, the landowner, he says, I'll give you a fair wage. I think it says something about the landowner. These guys trust him to pay them what they deserve. That if they work half the day, then they'll get half of a denarius. For whatever reason, he seems like the landowner himself is a generous guy. Even in the sense, did he need all of these workers? Did he need to keep going back to the market and bringing more in? He probably didn't need them, but he's generous. He wants more people to experience what he's offering. And so he brings more in and he hires them and he puts them to work and they're gonna get paid a fair wage. And this is a good, just kind of side note to the story. I know some of you own businesses, your bosses, you do this thing. This story isn't about how you should treat your employees that you should treat them and pay them what you think is fair and right. What ultimately what this story is about, the landowner is Jesus and you're the guy that's unfairly paid in your mind. If you're a business owner and you do this really, you should treat your people well, kindly, justly, because that's what Christians do. And that's what we're holding up and we want from you is to do that, to do what Christ would do, which is treat people fairly. All right, so now we have the players. We have the guys that showed up first. We have the group that showed up throughout the day. And then we have the landowner. And these are the three main characters in our story. And we're gonna have this little kind of showdown take place between these three groups, right? So it seems first, he says that I'm gonna bring the last in and they're gonna get paid first, which is an odd way. We would think again, if I was gonna work, if I got there early, I would get paid first, of course. I get to get home to my family before everyone else. So they should have been tuned in that something weird's about to happen. When he's like, hey, y'all wait over there. I know you were here first, but I'm gonna pay these other guys before I pay you. And I think about these guys over here, as we talked about who are they and, and what are they doing? Because they're gonna get paid first and then they're gonna watch everybody else get paid. And I got me thinking about how do we respond to kind of overwhelming generosity? How do we think about it? One, there's the reaction of just being ashamed, kind of embarrassed. You think I need this extra money? Do I look that poor? Do I really need that? I can take care of myself. Just pay me what I'm owed. And the landowner's trying to pour out generosity and you're like, I don't need it. When in reality, you do. You greatly need it, but you're so kind of prideful, ashamed of your situation that you're refusing the generosity. Next, there's this approach you could take. You can be completely humbled by God's incredible gift to you. Blown away that he would give you such a gift. That when it comes to you, you say, Lord, I don't deserve this, but thank you so much. Everyone else in the world deserved this more than me, but for whatever reason you gave graciously to me. Do we receive it humbly? Or maybe we receive it kind of pridefully and arrogantly. There's another kind of Jewish parable that floated around at the time of Jesus and it went like this. There's a landowner and he goes out at the beginning of the day and he hires 10 workers and he brings them all into his fields and they begin to work. And as they're working, he notices one of them 
is a really good worker. And in the first two hours of today, this guy does two, three, four times as much work as everyone else. So the landowner goes out and he gets him and he brings him into his home. He introduces him to his family. He gives him lunch. He stays with him. He tours the property with him. He gives him dinner. And then after he's done that, he calls all 10 workers back in and he pays them all the exact same wage. And the other nine are like, you're unfair. You are unjust to us. And he says, no, I'm not. You see, in the two hours that this guy worked, he did more than any of you did the entire day. He deserved to get paid more than you got. And is that our reaction when generosity is given to us? We think we deserve it. Look what I've done. I know I only worked an hour, but I saw how lazy you are when you were working. I did more in an hour than you did the entire day. Lord, thank you for giving me what is rightfully mine. Do we react to generosity like that? Now, we're going to look at the other kind of guys that got there at the beginning of the day, and I think there's two things we kind of learn from them. So one kind of comment they bring up is they bring up, this is unfair. Does anybody disagree with them? Does anybody look at this story and go, no, no, they were treated fairly? Partly, yes, right? We see Jesus kind of respond like, I paid you what you were deserved, but that's the heart of how it goes after us. We experience that same thing. We're like, Lord, I've been treated unfairly. And we all love fairness. Anybody not love fairness? We love it. We desire it. We want it. Our kids all the time are like, that was unfair. And what do we say? Life isn't fair. Get over it. And we say it again and again and again, all the time, right? Any parent not ever said that to their child? You say it, and as soon as you say it, it like daggers your heart, like golly. Maybe my kids just need to say that to me sometimes. But there's this thing that really happens. If you ever, if you get kind of sharing the gospel with sometimes, one of the responses that people will have is that God is not good. Because if he's good, then bad things would never happen. You've, maybe you've heard this idea. But, and it seems kind of like you kind of hear it and you're like, oh, well, is that true? Because if he was good, why do these bad things happen? Why do miscarriages happen? Why do car wrecks happen and people die? Why do disasters happen? Why are marriages broken? But those things themselves, when they happen and you think in your mind, this is not right, what it's doing is it's actually pointing you to God. The only reason that you know something is not good and right is because God's law exists. These guys know it's unfair because they're looking at the land and going, this is not fair. We're being treated unfairly because they know he's a generous man. They know he's kind and good. And that's what we think about. Psalms 19:7 through 10 says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. 
The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. We know that things are wrong because the Lord is good. And so when you find yourself thinking, this is not right, it should point you back to the Savior who is good. To meditate on him and his word and what he has for us. Now, not only are they there, they also begin to show us something else about our hearts. And that is this, that we all greatly desire a workspace salvation. We want it. We want it really, really bad. When I was playing high school football every year, um, my, this, there was always two or three seniors that would quit. And what would happen is every year after practice has started, there would be the depth chart release. So if you're familiar with football, it basically tells you like who's starting at every position, okay? And there would be these seniors on the team that started their freshman, or when I say started, they started playing their freshman year and they showed up every day and they worked really hard. They didn't get to play, but they were there practicing hard. Their sophomore year, they would do the same thing. They would work incredibly hard, but they never got to play. Their junior year, again, working hard, but never getting to play. And then their senior year rolls around and the depth chart comes out and they're not on it. And they go to the coach and they say, coach, I've worked so hard. Why don't I get to play? Don't you understand the time I've put in? I deserve to get to play. I deserve to get to start based on the work that I've done. And the coach, some of them kindly, some of them not so kindly, would say to these two or three guys that are quitting every year, son, I've noticed how hard you've worked and I've appreciated it. But it's not about how hard you work. In this moment, it's about how good you actually are. That's what it's about. And that's what it's about for us today. There's this idea that we're the person over here being treated unfairly and we're crying out for God's justice. We say, I want justice without fully comprehending the grace that's been poured out to us. What we've already received. What we deserve is death. The wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve. You're crying out for justice and you have received grace. We should think on that. Be weary of calling out for other people's justice without realizing and understanding the grace that's been poured out to us. But we want it, right? We want it to be works-based. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourself, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for us ahead of time to do. It's not about what you've done. 
because what you deserve for what you've done is death. It's about the giver of the gift and what he's offering to you. Free grace. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing that there is nothing you can do to earn God's favor because everything you do comes up short of deserving such a thing. And you need not forget that. Now, how does the landowner respond to this guy? He has the cry of unfairness. And does Jesus say, hey, buddy, life's not fair. Get over it. No. Jesus responds, and he starts with friend. And I've loved it. As I've studied the passage this week, just love that this is where he goes. He had every right, right? That's what the king says. How dare you question your king? Jesus has every right to say that to us at any time that he wants to. But when this guy cries out unfairness, it seems there's a level which Jesus gets it. He's kind of looking at him going like, yeah, I get that. He understands that you're struggling with things, that you're crying out it's unfair, and he's listening to you. He understands why you're frustrated. He understands why you're upset. I was listening to a guy, he was talking about Job. So in the book of Job, there's this guy, and he is kind of favored by God. He is this holy man, and so he begins to get tested. And in this testing, he begins to cry out to God. And not everything Job says would we be like, that was the perfect response. He handled that perfectly. But yet, it's, he's credited as righteous and good. So if you think about that, you begin to wonder, like, why is that? And I heard another guy say about that. He goes, Job is credited as righteous, not because of the things that he said, but that he never stopped coming to God. God listens and he hears us. He understands that not everything is perfect in this world, that not everything is going exactly like you want it to go. And what he doesn't want you to do is hold that back. He wants you to follow this example and bring it to him. To say to him, Lord, here is what I'm struggling with. And he wants you to go to his word and find the answers for that. But he wants you to keep bringing them. Don't stop. Because he does see you as friend. Now from there, what does he say? He says, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. So, the, the, the thing about the Christian walk is sometimes it's sold to this idea of like, we, we hone in on this idea, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. And we say, Lord, it, it's, it's good, right? Like, I'm gonna be a Christian and everything is gonna go exactly like I want it to go. Because that's what Christianity is. It's perfect for me. And we want to, I've told you, you can't do anything to earn your salvation, but we all, just a little bit, we want to believe that the prosperity gospel is true. And we all kind of do that. Lord, did you not see what I did? I deserve this. Why are bad things happening? Lord, I'm so good. Look at all the good things that I've done. Why is life hard? Why is it difficult? Because we want it to be true. We want our works to count for something. We don't understand when bad things happen, but that's the deal that Jesus made with you. When you came to him, what he promised was John 16, 33, in this life will be trouble. There will be suffering for the Christian. You're not immune to it. It's not gonna not happen to you. And so when you come to God and you say, God, this isn't fair, God says, that was the deal I made with you. I never promised you anything else. 
in this life will be trouble. That's the promise. And we don't love that. You see, when he talks about my burden is easy, my yoke is light, what he's holding up is this future thing that exists for us. This idea that we endure these things because we know of what's coming. We know the prize that awaits for us. We know that heaven is there. And so we endure these things for that thing. When bad things happen, we know he's coming to make all things good, to make all things right. And that's where it's easy. That's where it's light. So we cling to that, knowing that in this life there will be hard times. Knowing in this life there will be suffering. And ultimately knowing that our works really count for nothing. So we see this passage and we talk about it and we usually kind of refer to it as a salvation passage. That kind of what's happening here is that there's this group of people that at the very last on their deathbed are kind of coming to Christ and they're getting salvation. And there are these people that have been there since the very beginning and they're getting the same salvation. And we get kind of upset. We're like, this guy gets what I get. We do the Peter thing. I've been working for so long. Don't you see what I've been doing? Don't you see what, what I've been through? And that is what Christ is offering. He is offering salvation to the person seconds before they die. He's offering that to them. This is good. And what you should hear, it doesn't matter when you come to faith. There's not a bigger mansion waiting on you. There's not anything other than Christ Jesus himself. That's it. All of him. You're not gonna get to heaven and go, Lord, where's my mansion? You're gonna get to heaven and say, where is Jesus? That's where I wanna go. For the person on their deathbed and the person that came to faith when they were four years old, it's the same. It's all of Jesus and nothing else. What a glorious, glorious day it will be. And Jesus says, take what's yours and go. I want to give this man the same as I gave you. It's salvation for both of you. Don't I have the right to do what, is, what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I am generous? Jesus paid the price. He distinguishes it out as he so pleases. Because he's Jesus. But we get upset with that. I say, Lord, you're not being generous with us. It's like, how could you do this? Don't you know? Don't you understand? And she said, are you upset that I'm generous? Are you upset that this person came to faith in their final minutes? Is that really what you want to do? We don't understand. We don't get it. You're telling me he could do all these bad things, but yet he still gets the same salvation that I get? Yes. That's what he gets. And we hold that up as if it's a bad thing. If you're, as you're, you're upset that you are over here living your whole life as a Christian. In your life, you had peace, you had joy, you had love, you had grace, you had community. You got to experience all of these things and this guy got them for a minute. He spent his whole life with no joy no peace, no love, no grace, no mercy. And we look and go, I could have been that guy. You got to be this guy. 
That's what you got to be. The Lord has been so kind to you, so generous. That's what he was. Because the guy gets upset, right? He's upset that these other guys came later in the day and they got the same gift that he got. But the reality is he got more than that. It's good to work with your hands. He was out in the field all day long working. And at the end of the day, he got paid. And at the end of the day, he got to go home and say to his family, today I worked for us. Today I did a good and right thing. I did what is right in the eyes of the Lord. This is a good thing to be here. Oh, it's glorious to be here. But it's really, really good to have known the Lord here at the beginning and to spend your whole life loving, worshiping, and serving him. The other thing about this passage I think is interesting is it's not just that like you get this thing, that this thing like is given to you. It's also that over here, we rejoice, not only because they got salvation, but also because our Lord is due their worship. Rejoice because another sinner now worships our Savior. It's not about you and what you did or didn't get. It's about the fact that the Lord has saved another soul and that person now worships our Lord. And he deserves that. He should get that. What a glorious, glorious truth. As we go back early, because you don't really want what you actually do. What you do is not good. He goes on, he says 16, so the last will be first and the first last. That's Jesus, firstborn of all creation, humbles himself to the point of death on a cross, taking the punishment that we were all due. It says, while going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them on the way, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. The son of man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, crucified, and on the third day, he will be raised. What you deserve is to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. That's the wage that you're due. But Christ has come to take that on himself so that he can give his gift of righteousness out to you so that you can stand before the Lord and be with him forever. What a glorious truth. And there's one thing about this passage that's been kind of like mind-numbing for me all week. So when we think about these parables, when they talk about heaven, it's usually in this like glorious way. This kind of incredible thing that's happening, streets of gold, crystal seas, mansions in the sky. Like it's a glorious truth, right? The pearl of great price, it's all those things. But in this story, it's not that. It's one day's work. That's all it is. That's what you're getting. You get the price of one good day of work. Why is that? Because the reality is it's a parable. It's not a real story. If there was a guy over here and he came at the beginning of the day and he said to you, hey, you're going to work all day long. I'm going to give you a billion dollars, which is still not what heaven is. But you'd be really excited about that. And then a guy comes in at the end of the day and he works for one hour and he gets a billion dollars. Are you going to be over here going like, I should have got $8 billion. You don't care. 
You just got a billion dollars. Guys, salvation is far, far greater than a billion dollars. It's not even close. The parable doesn't work if it's a billion dollars because we don't get it. Because we don't understand what we've actually been given in Christ, which is all of it. Everything. And so if you're sitting here today and you have experienced that grace in your life, cling to it. Believe it and own it that you've been given the greatest thing that has ever been given to anyone. You've been given Christ Jesus and his righteousness. And if you're sitting on the other side and you don't know this, you don't know this Jesus. He is being offered up to you today. It says, today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for parables, Lord, that teach us so much about you and your kingdom, about how you interact with us, how you deal with us, and really how you reveal yourself to us. We thank you, Father, for the gift of heaven, uh, for eternity with Christ. Um, to be known by you and loved by you is a truth that's truly hard for us to fully understand and grasp, but Lord, make us more aware of that each and every day. We love you, Lord, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen.